0: Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, offering a broad range of cardiac and vascular treatments in our community. More information is available at UPMC.com slash CentralPAHeart.
1: Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. 2023 has gotten off to an unusual and unprecedented start at the Pennsylvania State Capitol, especially in the State House. A Speaker of the House has been elected, who may or may not be an independent, and there's debate over which party has the majority. Why does it matter to Pennsylvanians? Those are just a few of the issues we discuss on The Spark today with Katie Meyer of Spotlight PA. Katie, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks so much for having me,
1: Scott. All right. So before we move to the Pennsylvania House side, I want to talk about uh, constitutional amendments and the Pennsylvania State Senate, because this is an area where voters may have a direct say in the future of Pennsylvania. Tell us about those uh, three constitutional amendments being considered in the Senate where there is a Republican majority.
0: Yeah. So this... is this is really interesting, because uh, just to kind of back up for a second, one of the main things that we've been discussing in the House is how and when to pass this constitutional amendment to create a two year window for victims of child sexual abuse to sue their abusers, even if the statute of limitations has already expired. And this has been something that I think many of uh, the listeners uh, of WIT have heard about before. It's been in the works for a really, really long time. Um, And where it stands now is it needs to pass the House and the Senate one more time, and then it goes to a ballot referendum, a statewide vote in either, you know, the May election or the November election. It depends on when they get it done. You know, time's getting short to get it done in May. Um, In between there, the Wolf administration messed it up the last time that this amendment passed. They didn't advertise it correctly, and so the legislature had to start over from scratch. This has been deeply difficult for this community of survivors that's pushing for this amendment. So, that's an amendment and we'll get into this a little bit more later. That amendment is in the center of this power struggle in the House right now to do with who's the Speaker. Um, Republicans now in the Senate have, and they control the Senate, they have passed it, along with two other amendments that are more controversial that are tied to it. Now they would go to the ballot as separate amendments, but they're all tied together, passing the House and Senate. And you know, this is all of, like kind of dubious legality, but basically, like if they pass it, they pass it. Um, so anyway, the other two amendments that are attached are uh, a requirement for voter ID at the polls, and uh, a change that would make it easier for the legislature to override the governor's regulations. And so these are both, you know, pretty significant amendments. Democrats don't like them, um, and now they're tied to this very, very important amendment.
1: You know, someone just turning in who may not pay close attention may hear that and say, "Boy, that's real inside baseball, if you will." Yeah. But there are real world implications for these things, not just who was elected Speaker of the House, whether that yeah. speaker is an independent. What are some of why? Why does this matter to voters to Pennsylvanians?
0: Yeah, so just in in terms of just divorced from the political uh, maneuvering that's going on in the background around these amendments, um, they're they're a big deal. So the regulations one, that's kind of the quickest to explain, It, it changes the balance of power. Right now, the governor has a lot of power to issue regulations about, you know, various things In, during the pandemic, this was a big deal because Governor Wolf um, issued a lot of executive uh, orders and exercised those powers to a great extent. And this would basically give the legislature the ability to override it through uh, votes. And uh, so, again, just changing the balance of power—that's always a really big deal. Um, Voter ID. This is, again, something that comes up a lot. Pennsylvania back in 2012 had a really strict voter ID law, and the challenge with voter ID is always that, you know, when you vote in Pennsylvania at the polls for the first time, you're supposed to prove who you are anyway, but um, this would require that everybody every time go to the polls and have an ID with them. Now, most people have ID. Elderly people sometimes don't, people with, you know, disabilities, people who are allowed to vote can vote, want to vote, but don't always have that, uh, that identification on hand. People in nursing homes, this is often relevant. So, you know, this is always controversial. You know, should we uh, need this ID for security purposes or should we like err on the side of accessibility? And uh, the compromise that sometimes comes up and that Democrats have kind of started to get on board with is that, um, yes, some form of ID is required, but the requirements are really, really broad. And uh, that would allow for um, sort of uh, fail-safes. Like, for instance, somebody who doesn't have ID being able to go to the polls and then cast a provisional ballot and later prove their identification or being given a free ID just for the purposes of voting that, you know, the Department of State mails out. So these are all options. But the challenge with this amendment is it needs what's called enabling legislation. And so it's not complete, basically. If passed, the legislature would be required to require voter ID, but they would then have to go in and kind of set up the specifics. And so that leaves this big question of like, what are people actually going to be voting for if they vote to require it? You don't know until the legislature does it. So that's a big one. And then, of course, we've got the child abuse amendment. And that one, again, as I said, has been in the works for a long time. And uh, basically, it stems from massive sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. It's championed by Mark Rossi, a Democrat who's now the Speaker of the House, who says he's going to act as an independent. And again, we'll get into that, I think. But um, he uh, was abused by a priest as a child and uh, has championed this throughout his career. And uh, many, many other survivors in these situations have as well. And the case that they make is when you're abused as a kid, it often takes you a really long time to come forward. And these crimes are statute limited in Pennsylvania, which means you can't sue after you become an adult usually. And again, there's different civil and um, criminal statutes there. But for the purposes of this, um, this would open a two-year window for people to have been abused in the past whose statute of limitations have expired to sue their abusers. And uh, it would be a big deal and an enormous win for this community that's pushed for it for a really long time. Uh,
1: they've been frustrated uh, over the past uh, five, six years, especially by what you mentioned earlier that the administration... Messed up and uh, didn't legally when when voters would have had an opportunity to to, to vote on it, or, or excuse me, when you know the, the legislature there would have been something that, that the, the legislature would have done and the, the voters could have voted on it, but it didn't happen, so it had to go through two consecutive sessions of the House and Senate, then be yeah. uh, you know uh, the, go to the voters. You know one of the things that, uh, as you're describing, like the regulatory. Uh, you know, uh, pulling in the regulatory powers of the governor, a lot of this has grown out of, and when I say a lot of this, meaning the constitutional amendment, using constitutional amendments, grew out of Governor Wolf and the Wolf administration, what the governor did, the administration did during the COVID pandemic, and you know, how the governor, the regulations that the governor's put on. So they're taking power away from the governor, getting around, you know, a constitutional amendment doesn't require, where the governor can't veto a constitutional amendment, the legislation. Is this the way Pennsylvania is going to be governed in the future?
0: Well, that's a very interesting question because, of course, the dynamic that we're talking about is a Democratic governor uh, against a pretty conservative Republican-dominated legislature. That's been the case for uh, Governor Wolf's entire tenure up until right now, um, no longer are both chambers uh, controlled by Republicans. The Senate still is, but more narrowly than it used to be. And the House is in a very strange position right now where Democrats won more seats, one more seat, like a single additional seat in uh, November, but now have three vacancies. So they're down a few. So when the democrats are likely back to full power we don't of course know who are going to win those special elections but it's likely they'll be democrats so democrats will have 102 members republicans will have 101 um and that will put the democrats in a very very narrow majority so if they can keep their caucus together uh democratic governor josh shapiro who's coming in very soon next week um he'll have a pretty different uh situation to be dealing with now again A narrowly divided chamber, Scott, as we're seeing right now, is a really difficult thing to work with sometimes. And these these caucuses are very bitterly divided, the Republicans and the Democrats. So I think it's not going to be easy for the House to do a lot of things, but it's a very different situation than it's been for the last, you know, 12 years.
1: Republicans who have pushed constitutional amendments would argue that uh, the will of the people, the people will get a a, a direct vote on these issues. What it is reminiscent of is uh, states where referendum and initiative, where California is the one that's most famous because we hear about it so often. We don't have referendum and initiative uh, here in Pennsylvania, or maybe we do nowadays.
0: Well, (laughs) We have a certainly a very complicated version of that, I guess. Um, Yeah. So I I mentioned before, but it's hard to pass constitutional amendments in Pennsylvania. We have two year legislative sessions and the amendment has to pass in two successive legislative sessions with the exact same language both times. And in between, the uh, Department of State has to advertise those uh, those amendments with their full language. In newspapers across the state it's actually getting much harder to do that because small newspapers are dying off and so that was the thing that went wrong the last time the child abuse amendment was passed the department of state didn't properly advertise it and so by law it just couldn't proceed so anyway once that all happens then it goes to the voters in a statewide referendum but scott one of the things that we know about these amendments is often they'll pass in a primary an off year election, not a presidential election where there's high turnout. So very few people often vote for these things and they can have huge consequences. And so, yeah, we've seen an absolute rise in uh, just because of this gridlock we've seen in the legislature with the governor, um, we've seen a real rise in them using them kind of to get around his authority because the governor cannot veto a constitutional amendment. Um, And what we also see is that when they go to voters, They're sometimes confusing. The language isn't always super clear. And people usually vote yes, almost always people vote yes. So I would say yes, absolutely. People get a direct say, but generally speaking, especially in an off year, not a lot of people vote for these.
1: Katie Meyer of Spotlight PA as our guest today. We're talking about a whole lot going on at the state capitol here in Harrisburg at the, the beginning of 2023. Katie, you touched on this because there are so many interwoven issues here, but let's go back to Mark Rossi. Representative Mark Rossi, as you mentioned, uh, survivor of sexual abuse by a priest when he was 13. He's appeared on this program several times talking about, the, talking about his experiences and what he's trying to do to open that window for for uh, sex abuse survivors to sue. We haven't heard from the new speaker in some time. It's been kind of strange. First of all, it, you know there's also tension, even this national attention that look how Pennsylvania is doing this. They elected an independent as speaker even though he hasn't changed officially his uh, voter registration, but look at Pennsylvania. Well, now it's not looking like it is clear as clear as what everyone kind of thought a week ago.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, the impulse people might have when looking this at this is to say, oh, wow, what a win for bipartisanship, but it's, I I wouldn't say it's quite that. Um, So yeah, just to kind of start at the beginning, I mentioned the House and Senate are very divided and very close, I'm sorry, the Democrats and the Republicans in the House are very, very closely divided. And so and Democrats also, they have technically, they want a majority, but they have three vacancies. One member passed away, two more left to take higher offices. And so, Democrats going into the first day of the session, swearing in day, um, they had 99 members. Republicans had 101. And uh, on swearing in day, you usually do two things you elect a speaker, the person who presides over the entire chamber. It's almost always a person from the majority. Um, and then you also adopt rules. And these are, they usually don't change too, too much year to year, but they can, and the rules are really important. They just, op- they've they determine how the chamber operates and uh, they you know decide who's on committees and how many people from each party are on committees. So these are important things. Um, so anyway, we go in, Republicans have a functional majority. They have more people on the floor. Democrats will probably win back the majority either in February or in May, depending on when a court says special elections are gonna be. So that's just the scene that we've set. Um, Republicans, it turns out, they have more members, but they cannot quite keep their caucus together to vote for one of their own members for speaker, a speaker, again, who probably only served temporarily. And so they're in meetings all day. They're trying to figure out a consensus candidate. They finally get one. It's kind of a libertarian, not a very prominent member. Um, but now there's people who are upset about this. And this is all just by the way, we've done a lot of conversations with rank and file members, with staffers. So this is generally what everyone agrees is happening at this point. Republicans, mean, Democrats meanwhile, are trying to flip a Republican to vote for them. They would need two. And they've, they're starting to get there, but they also aren't sure if they can get it over the finish line. Their candidate, a consensus candidate, is Joanna McClinton, a Democrat from Philadelphia, who's fairly progressive. And um, nobody knows what's gonna happen when they go onto the floor for the vote. The rank and file from both parties are kind of think that what's gonna happen is a deadlock, which means that they then recess without a speaker and kind of can't do anything after that. And uh, then something very, very unexpected to everybody in the rank and file. And I think to pretty much every reporter watching as well, was that uh, Jim Gregory, um, who's worked very closely with Mark Rozzi on these issues of child sex abuse, Gregory was also sexually abused as a kid. Um, he's a Republican and he gets up and he says, I nominate Mark Rozzi. We later learned Republicans have engineered this plan where they've been asking a de- Democrats, and the several Democrats have told us this, they've been going around saying, we will you know, vote for you for speaker. You'll get the votes that you need for speaker if you agree to switch your party to independent and say that you're not gonna caucus with anybody. And nobody knew who it was gonna be. A few people had a speech that Republicans had written and uh, then they got Razi, Razi agreed to it. Gregory says this was because he and Razi were really worried that the child sex abuse amendment wasn't going to pass. So that's why that amendment's so central here. Um, But in any case, yeah, Razi, is nominated. McClinton gets on board. She says, yes, we support Razi. The rank and file from both parties have to decide what to do. Most of the Republicans vote for their previous consensus candidate. The Democrats all vote for Razi. Republican leadership and some random other people vote for Razi from the GOP side. He becomes the speaker. He immediately announces he's going to be independent, um, meaning he, he says he's not going to caucus with either party. Um, Republicans say that means he's going to switch his party affiliation. Democrats say, no, no, he's still a Democrat. Like, we're going to have the majority. And Razi still hasn't switched his affiliation. So that's very long. It's a lot. But that is what went down on the first day of session. It was very unusual.
1: So why haven't we heard from Razi since he was <laughs> elected speaker?
0: Well, um, Rozzi has been so far, uh, I think he's tried to stay out of the, you know, daily politics of everything. He's in a really tough situation. Um, but basically, there have been several things that have happened. Rozzi hasn't switched his res- registration yet. And uh, it's not clear if he's going to, he hasn't said anything about it. Jim Gregory, who again, is a very close ally of is the Republican who nominated him has said he's lost faith that Razi's going to do it, that he feels like Razi isn't holding up his end of the bargain. He actually urged him, he sent a letter urging him to step down as speaker, just like a week after uh, Razi was sworn in. Um, Now, meanwhile, they were supposed to, like, again, this is the other major thing the House has to do. They have to adopt rules for the chamber so that it can operate. And they have not been able to do that. And so Razi's kind of role in all of this has kind of been to broker because with him as speaker, the rest of the both of the other um, chamber caucuses, the Republicans and the Democrats, they both have 100 members. So he's kind of the tiebreaker now. So he's got to like negotiate between these two caucuses. And so far, he's, again, tried to seem pretty independent. He's pledged to be independent. But uh, he also, they haven't been able to get to a consensus on what the rules are going to be. And so and he's also said he really wants them to pass this amendment. They tried to do a special session. They didn't get anywhere because they couldn't adopt rules. Um, a special session is a kind of urges them to only act on one thing. Um, but meanwhile, now, you know, this this amendment, he said he doesn't want to move anything else until this amendment passes, the Child Sex Abuse Amendment. And, you know, the Senate has log rolled it with all these other, with these two other amendments that are more controversial. So it's just really not clear what the House is going to do next. Again, they don't have rules. Razi has assembled a working group um, to try to hash that out with three Democrats and three Republicans and him. Uh, Republican leaders have said, we just want you to adopt the old rules so we can at least do some stuff. But, um, yeah, they are a little bit deadlocked right now, Scott.
1: <laughs> Plus, as you yeah. mentioned, we have a new governor coming into office uh, next Tuesday. So yeah. where does Josh Shapiro come in with all this?
0: Where does Josh Shapiro come in? Yeah, Um, so as far as we have heard from Shapiro, he's like not been very involved in this House stuff. I I, I should say Shapiro, when he was a a House member himself a while ago in 2007, he engineered kind of a similar power sharing agreement. So I think a lot of people observing this were like, "This seems like a Shapiro thing." He said he was, or his staff at least have said he wasn't involved. Um, You know, people I've talked to in the House have said he wasn't really. So you know, this is just. All makes for a very interesting time for Josh Shapiro. On one hand, the Democrats are going to have it at some point, probably if they win the elections, they think they're going to a majority. So that's great for him. But also, the House is so, so messed up right now. It, it's just not really working at the moment because again, there's no rules and there's a speaker who we don't know if is going to be temporary. And uh yeah, it's just a little bit uh it's a little bit confusing.
1: Um katie you know we smile about it but i mean there are serious consequences to this all okay. right i'm going to ask you a tough question here in a minute okay tom wolf is leaving office his legacy
0: oh wow so yeah spotlight just had a story out on this i think that the top line that people have told us about tom wolf that we've heard about tom wolf is his style was his own, he wasn't very interested in the glad handing and the horse trading that often comes with the governorship, but it's also a function of the time that he was in highly, highly partisan times with a Republican legislature that uh, he just did not agree with. And there wasn't a lot of middle ground to do that horse trading that you sometimes saw under Tom Ridge or an Ed Rendell, previous governors. So, and the other thing that I think people really told us about Tom Wolf is, you know, he didn't have a scandal for the eight years that he was the governor. And people have said that's a testament to, you know, his his commitment to the ethics of the office. So honestly, even the Republicans that I talked to, they had pretty good things to say about him, despite all the fighting over the years.
1: Katie Meyer, Spotlight PA, The my, my favorite word today is horse trading, because the, the past half hour we've been talking about horse trading. Hey, Katie, thank you very much for being with us today.
0: Thanks so much, Scott.
1: You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar.